This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. You know, I remember from my youth one song that comes to mind every time I go to the funeral of a faithful Christian. And that song is, Shall We Gather at the River? You know, that song has kind of been on my mind since the funeral of one of my brothers just a few weeks ago. And that is one of, if not one of the greatest questions we can ever answer. I know that I've heard that song sung at funerals of those who did not obey God's commands as well as those that did. But today I want to look at this song and let's answer that question for ourselves. And that question is, shall we gather at the river? Shall I be at the river? Verse 1 of the song says, Shall we gather at the river where bright angel feet have trod with its crystal tide forever flowing by the throne of God? Over in Revelation chapter 22, I want to look at verses 1 through 3, and I'm not going to read all of verse 3, but Revelation 22, verses 1 to 3. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And I want to stop right there, because when we look at these verses, we have garden language. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. We have a beautiful river. We have the tree of life. We have fruit. And we remember that in the Garden of Eden is where Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit and the curse of sin came upon mankind. Now, we notice, and I'm not talking about inherited sin, but all uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We go back to Genesis chapter 2 and look at verses 8 through 17 and we see the description there of the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 verses 8 through 17. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and there is bdellium in the and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, 
the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, and it's the Tigris. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the name of the fourth, and the fourth river is Euphrates. Now verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, shalt surely die. Well, we understand from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, that sin came. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves aprons. So we see the description of the garden. We've read that, and we saw what caused sin to come into the world. And then in verses 8 through 19, we see the curse of sin. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called excuse me, unto Adam and said unto, her, unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this thing, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. 
and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. But you know, we go back over into Revelation chapter 22, we see no curse there. Again, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to the first part of verse 3, or first two parts there, verse 3, And he showed to me a pure water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. Well, God and the Father, or God the Father and Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, are all personally there. His servants will serve Him there. And there will be no sin there because there is no tempter. So, Will we be there? Will I be there gathered at the river? That is the all-important question of verse 1. Now, verse 2 of the song says this, On the margin of the river, washing up its silver spray, we will walk and worship ever all the happy golden day. That's where I want to read that last section of Revelation 22, verse 3, where it says, And his servants shall serve him. Those who are faithful servants of God worship him on this earth but will also worship him for an eternity in heaven. We'll be standing by the edge of the crystal flowing river, serving the God that we served here on earth. Look at Revelation chapter 7 now, verse 15. Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. It says, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Well, who is the them there? Well, that question was asked. Verse 13, one of the elders answered saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came thee? And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white 
in the blood of the Lamb. These are the faithful. These are the ones that are referred to back in Matthew chapter 25, verses 19 to 23. Matthew chapter 25, verses 19 to 23, where it says, After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them, and so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I've gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then you drop down a little bit further, and we see a little bit more about these this group. In verse 34, or verse, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Verse 37 says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto me, you have done it unto one of these, at least of my brethren. You have done it unto me. So right there we see this group. And this group that he mentioned there and then in the parable back there earlier that we read about those two faithful servants, they will be gathered at the river. And what a wonderful thought. We can worship and serve God, our creator, the one who loved us enough to send his son to die for us and offered salvation to us through his son. Now, we go back to Psalm 8, the 8th Psalm, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. <laughs> Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5. He said, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. 
You see, the heavens did not sin. The moon and the stars did not sin. But man did sin. And even though man sinned, we go to John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. And we see in that verse that for God so loved the world, that would be the world of mankind, the one that sins, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the heavens, the first two heavens there, our atmosphere and the heavens where the planets and stuff are, those are not everlasting. The moon and the stars, they're not everlasting. And yet man is immortal. We had a beginning, but we won't have an end. And God so loved us that he wants us to be with him. You go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 23 to 25. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. Again, I mentioned the verse earlier, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But notice verse 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So he's a propitiation. He satisfies the wrath of God through his sacrifice. And that's what he did for us. You see, we were created in the image of God. We know that back from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So we were created in the image of God, so we are his special creation. And he wants only the best for us, and even though we sin, he sent his son to die for us. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, There ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved our... Oh, that's chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. And says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So Jesus delivered us from God's wrath if we will obey. So if we are faithful in this life, 
we will have the joy of worshiping the Father and the Son face to face for an eternity. That's that part of the psalm that says, all the happy golden day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the victory over sin. We can win that battle. And then in Romans chapter 5, look at verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. It says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God. Through our, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement or the reconciliation is what the American Standard Version has there. Now let's look at verse 3 of the song. It says, Ere we reach the shining river, lay we every burden down. Grace our spirits will deliver and provide a robe and a crown. We're going to be laying our burdens down when we gather at the river. A few verses concerning that. Let's start in the book of Matthew chapter 11. And let's look at verses 28 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus there says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 7. If I can ever get my fingers to work right here. Chapter 1, verse 7 there says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So there is rest that is coming. In Hebrews chapter 4, look at verses 9 through 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. It says, For or there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. 
So there is a rest that is coming for the children of God. In Hebrews, excuse me, Revelation chapter 4, 14, Revelation chapter 14, and we look there at verse 13. John said, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So when we gather at the river, we are going to lay all the heavy burdens down that we have had to go through in this life. And then also, you remember the second part of that song or that verse says, Grace our spirits will deliver and provide a robe and a crown. God's grace is offered to everyone. Titus 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. It says there, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. But then it says, Teaching us. In other words, this is how we're to live. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So he redeemed us. He paid the ransom for us. And we are a peculiar people. The word also means special. We are a special people. And we have access to God's grace through or by obedient faith. Romans chapter 5 again. Now look at verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we access God's grace, the grace that will deliver us through our obedient faith. And we are saved by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. There's that faith and grace thing again. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God's grace is his gift to us not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, there's no works that we can do that we will cause God to have to give us heaven. 
Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There are good works that we must do in order to be obedient to God. And I find I still find it interesting, we're going to chase a rabbit here for a minute, that people say baptism is a work, therefore baptism is not necessary for salvation. But baptism is one of these good works that we must do, and that baptism is for the remission of sins. Several verses, just one, Acts 22, 16. And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins? calling on the name of the Lord. So we are saved by grace, again, through faith. You, know, you go to Hebrews chapter 11, and it just time after time after time, we see God's grace offered. And then by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Abel did a good work. By faith, Enoch was translated, he should not see death. Why? Because he pleased God. He did good works through faith. Verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God as things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So right there, God's grace was offered to Noah to save him and his family from the flood. Through faith, Noah did good works. The same thing can be said there of Abraham and of Sarah and you go down through there and you find Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and numerous others that are not named but through faith but well, they were offered God's grace, and through their obedient faith, they did the good works that they needed to do. Now, without obedient faith on our part, God will not give us his grace. We have to be obedient. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 7 and 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. You see, Paul did things. He goes, I've fought a good fight. That's action. I have finished my course. That's action. I have kept the faith. That's action. And then he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. In James chapter 1, look at verse 12. James 1, 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, or this is testing. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And then Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. 
It says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, that scrutinized, or disciplined, and ye shall have tribulation. The word means pressure. Ten days be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. And see, that's the last part of that second stanza in the song, and provide a robe and a crown. Now let's look at the last verse of the song. It says, At the smiling of the river, mirror of the Savior's face, saints whom death will never sever lift their songs of saving grace. You see, God's servants shall see his face. What a wonderful thought. Those who are gathered by the river will see God our Father face to face. Those who are God's servants on this earth, when they gather at the river, will see the face of the Savior face to face. Those who are faithful in this life shall be gathered at the river, shall see the Holy Spirit face to face. We can glorify them forever. And you'll notice it says, saints whom death will never sever. Death will never sever us from our loved ones again. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Revelation 21, 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All of that will be gone. We won't have to go to the funeral of a loved one. Loved ones won't have to go to our funeral if we're faithful. And if they were faithful. You see, death will have been defeated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verses 51 to 55. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, saying, there are going to be people alive when Jesus comes back. Not everybody's going to be dead, but everybody will be changed. And then it tells how fast it will happen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's how fast it'll happen. Then it says when it will happen. At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In other words, he's saying right there, at the last trump. Now, keep your finger here because we want to come back to it and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 16 says, For the Lord himself 
shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, that's the trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, keep your marker there and go back to 1 Corinthians 15. He says it's going to happen in a moment, twinkling light. When? At the last trump. And he says, For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Going back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, says the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. So right there he's just saying, Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the dead are going to be raised, we are going to be changed, and then we're going to beat them in the air with the Lord. Now, and then he says, verse 53 in 1 Corinthians 15, for this corruptible, this body, whether it's dead in the grave or whether we're still alive, it's still corruptible, must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. You see, people go, well, I want to live forever. Well, you're going to. You, we are immortal beings. This physical body's going to die, yes, but we have an immortal spirit and we're going to have a new body as we see right there. We're going to be changed. And in verse 54, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, <clears throat> then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But then the verse we read earlier, verse 57, Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. Jesus Christ came to this world so that we could be victorious over sin, over death. We can be victorious. And you go a little earlier there in chapter 15, you look at verses 24 to 26. Again, we talked about death being defeated says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign, and this is Jesus, he's reigning now, till he hath put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And death is destroyed on the resurrection day. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, as we saw then we which are alive and remain shall be changed. But we'll be able to see God face to face. Now on this earth, no man can see God's face and live. We know that from Exodus 33, verse 20. Exodus 33, verse 20. God speaking to Moses says, And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But when we're gathered at the river, we will see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, face to face to face. And we will be raised from the dead, never to die again, 
just like Jesus was. Second Corinthians chapter two, or excuse me, chapter four, verse fourteen. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse fourteen. It says, "Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you." We're all going to be raised from the dead. And then you'll notice the last part of that verse says, saints whom death will never sever, lift their songs of saving grace. We will be able to sing praises forever to God, the one who offered us his grace. And you realize that singing is the only activity of the assembled church that is eternal? See, in heaven there will be no need for the Lord's Supper. We're going to be living with the Lord. In heaven there will be no need for prayer. We'll see God face to face. In heaven the gospel will not be preached because there's no lost there. Only the saved are there. In heaven no contribution is needed. What would it be for? But in heaven we will gather around God and sing praises to him. Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. It says there, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. We'll be able to sing praises to God forever. And then the chorus of the song says this, Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river. Gather with the saints at the river that flows by the throne of God. If we are faithful in this life, we will gather at that river. Revelation chapter 22 verse 14 states this. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have, the, have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. The American Standard Version says, Blessed are they that wash their robes. Well, keeping his commandments is the same. We wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb, and if we keep his commandments, we do the very same thing but only those who do the commandments of God will be gathered at the river. Now we understand there are those children who die that are safe and those who never reach a mental ability that are safe. But today, you know, if you're not a Christian, <clears throat> you will not be at the river. You will not be in the presence of God. But you see, God gives 
opportunities to be gathered at the river. You know, we understand what we have to do. We have to believe that Jesus Christ, well, we have to hear the word of God. We understand that. Romans 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That is the only way through the word of God, by obeying the word of God, that we will be able to be gathered at the river. We also have to have faith. You know, go over to Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at it a while ago, but we didn't look at verse 6. Hebrews 11:6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. Who's him? That's God. For he that cometh to God, if we want to come to God, we must believe that he is, of course, and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards those who diligently seek him, not half-heartedly seek him, not seek him every once in a while or whatever, but diligently seek him, doing our very best to seek him. We must repent of our former lifestyle. Repentance is required. You know, you go to Acts chapter 17 for just one example of repentance. Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Verse 31 tells us, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, and that is Jesus Christ, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So we're going to be raised from the dead to face God in judgment. And then confess the deity of Christ. Now you go over to <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. And you look at the event there concerning Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip is been preaching Jesus to him. We find that in verse 35. Verse 36 says, and we're going to read down through verse 39. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he was now saved. If he remains faithful, we understand that, but we may someday be gathered at the river with Philip, and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then what happened? Well, he was baptized. Why was he baptized? Well, we've already seen Acts twenty two sixteen. It washes away sin. Acts two thirty eight, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In second first Peter, excuse me, chapter three, verse twenty one. <clears throat> 
First Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one says the like figure being saved by water. There, well, let's read verse twenty. Said which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And then he puts in a parenthetical statement, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. That's not washing dirt from the body, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it says they were saved by water. What does that mean? You know, I've heard people say they weren't saved by the water, they were saved by the ark. No, he says it's a like figure. So what is the like figure? Water washed away the evil of the world in Noah's day, washed away the wicked. Baptism washes away sin. In Romans chapter six, verses one through four. Romans chapter six, verses one through four. Shall, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. See, we are raised from that watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. Our old wicked person that we were is crucified. It's put away. It's dead. Verse 6 here in Romans 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. So immersed in water for the remission of sins. And then living that faithful life as we saw in Revelation 2.10 be thou faithful unto death I will give thee the crown of life so if you have obeyed God's commands to obtain salvation but maybe you're not living faithfully anymore maybe the cares and pleasures and the things of this world have hindered you from obeying God and you're not producing fruit for God. Maybe you need to repent and rededicate your life to Christ so that you will also be among those who are gathered at the river. You know, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says there, and the Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that is the church, say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So then again, that question, shall we gather at the river? Maybe it could be a little more personal. Shall I gather at the river? If I'm faithful to God, I'll be there. If I'm not faithful to God, I won't be there. That's the question that each one of us needs to answer. 
Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.